Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, as we bow our hearts before you, we're just thanking you for you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus and his great sacrifice. Thank you for the resurrection. We also thank you for your word. And we get an opportunity to break the bread of your word tonight. And so as I prayed earlier, Lord, may your word uh, take root deeply and richly within our hearts. And by your spirit, help us to apply your word to our lives. And I do pray for the gift of teaching and to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we are in 2 Samuel chapter 20. 2 Samuel chapter 20. So in the previous study, in our study of the book of 2 Samuel, uh, we learned that King David was escorted across the Jordan River. And we saw that the northern tribes of Israel... And Judah, which is a southern tribe, they started to argue about David. First, they didn't like him, but, but now the rebellion is over. Absalom, the rebellious one, David's son is dead now. He's been defeated. Now they, they started to argue about him. And so that's where chapter 19 ended. And in to, and tonight's study, we're going to talk about the benefits of wisdom. And of course, that lesson is going to come in the context of what we'll see in 2 Samuel chapter 20. And and so my prayer and hope is that whatever we glean from this study tonight in 2 Samuel 20 will be a blessing because we always hear about getting wisdom And we may have even heard of a spiritual gift or a gift of the spirit called the word of wisdom. So we hear these things, but what are the benefits of wisdom? And so we'll go through the narrative and then we'll we'll pull out the spiritual nuggets that's going to help us to learn about the benefits of wisdom. These spiritual nuggets that are going to help us to grow and to, of course, reach our full potential In Christ Jesus, which is a theme of our study in the book of Samuel. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1, it says, And there happened to be there a rebel. So remember that arguing was taking place. And and now in that place, there was a rebel. Um, The Hebrew behind this word rebel is a man of Belial. And a man of Belial is a worthless or wicked man. So there was a wicked man there, and his name in verse 1 was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. In other words, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which was King Saul's tribe. And it says, and he blew a trumpet, which is, if you look at the Hebrew word behind trumpet, it's, it's shofar, which is a ram's horn. And he said, we have no share. In other words, we have no portion in David. Nor do we have an inheritance or a part in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tent. So 
Israel, so speaking to those northern tribes who were arguing with the tribe of Judah. Every man to his tents. Let's go back home. And so every man or soldier of Israel deserted David. And they followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, this rebel. Uh, But the men of Judah, from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem, they remained loyal to their king, to King David. And, And so once again, the men of Israel... And these soldiers, or these men of Judah, they were just arguing over David at Gilgal. And that's because the men of Judah had escorted David across the Jordan River without the northern tribes of Israel. And so there was a little bit of jealousy there. And these men of Israel, these men from the northern tribes, they felt slighted. And in fact, they believed they had more of a claim on David because they were made up of 10 of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. But also, they believed they had more of a claim to David as king because they were the ones who had advised to restoring David as king first. And that's according to 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 43. So you can see there argument. In fact, you can see the argument of Judah in that verse. Because in 2 Samuel 19.43, it says that in that argument, uh, the men of Judah, they had words that were more harsh than the men of Israel. And so you can see the whole argument there in 2 Samuel 19. But in verse 43, you can specifically see those words that the words of the men of Judah were fiercer or more harsh than the words of the men of Israel, those people from the 10 tribes. And so this argument that they just had in 2 Samuel 19, it, it actually provided a basis for Sheba, this man from the tribe of Benjamin, to rebel against King David. But notice this, Sheba, this rebellious man, this man of Belial, this wicked man, he didn't just go his separate way. No, he instead, he wanted others to rebel with him and to desert David. You see, he told the army and the citizens of the northern tribes of Israel, those who were present, he told them to stop following David. And of course, the scriptures tell us that they did. They went back to their tents. They deserted the king that God had chosen, that God had anointed. And so here already, and we've been seeing it throughout these studies here, but, but here early on in this study, in chapter 20, we see an example of a divisive person. And unfortunately, there are divisive people today. And since we are a church family, since we are uh, the bride of Christ, and we're talking church things right now, I just want to say that unfortunately there are divisive people in the church. And instead of people who don't like a church, instead of them just going their own separate ways, then they feel a need to get other people involved and go with them. They just can't go on their own. They, no, they have to take folks with them. But in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, speaking to believers, 
Note those, take note of those who cause divisions and offenses that are contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and it says to avoid them. And so divisiveness wasn't just going on in the first century church, but we see it even here in our lesson. And fast forward to today, we even see it today, this division. And there's another scripture, New Testament still, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 3, and this is part of the verse, but it says, For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? In other words, are you not in your flesh? You're, if, if you're carnal, you're not operating in the Holy Spirit. Wherever there is envy, strife, and divisions among you. And so we're seeing what's taking place with this rebel here, Sheba, and, and we're fast-forwarding this situation here and we're applying it to us today as a reminder in verse 3 it says now David came to his house or palace which is at Jerusalem and the men took or the king took the ten women his concubines whom he had left to keep the house and he put them in seclusion And he supported them, but he did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. And so these concubines are his secondary wives that he had left at the palace. And and it says that he put them in seclusion. So he kept them in a separate house under guard. These were the same concubines that his son, his rebellious son, Absalom, went into. and, And he had sexual relations with them. And so that's the reason why he did this. In verse 4, it says, And the king said to Amasa, and Amasa at this time is his new army commander, but he said to him, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. And so Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him, And David, in verse 6, said to Abishai, Now, Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him. In other words, take my men and go after Sheba, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So we're not told what took Amasa so long to do what David told him to do. We don't know why. And so, remember what had just taken place, a rebellion had just taken place with his son, Absalom. They just got over that. And Amasa, by the way, was the commander of the rebellious army. And so, when the war was over, when Absalom was defeated, David said, "Then, hey, Amasa, you're my family as well. So you're going to serve as my commander in place of Joab. And Joab is one of his nephews who was the commander at that time. But Amasa is also one of David's nephews. And so David told him after that rebellion that you're going to be my commander. And he told him to do a job within three days. Be present here yourself along with those, with those uh, men of Judah. So we can go after Sheba, the son of Bichri. But he didn't do it. Took too long. Again, we don't know why. But when he didn't show up at the appointed time, 
then we see that David turned to another one of his nephews, Abishai, who was the brother of Joab. And he commanded Abishai to go after Sheba, this new rebellious man. And David allowed Abishai to be the commander of his personal guard because he told him to take my servants, or in other words, take your Lord's servants, David's men, go after this guy. Let's, let's nip this in the bud. And so what we see here is David getting somebody who was capable of doing the job because obviously Amasa had gotten lost somewhere and he didn't show up when he was supposed to with, with the men, with the army of Judah. And I would say that's something similar to what I believe our king will do. Our king Jesus, that, that, that he will use someone else to get the job done if we don't do what he wants us to do. You see, God's work, in other words, will not be undone. It's, it's not going to go unfinished just because we decide to be disobedient and unfaithful. God has raised somebody else up in that position to do the job that he wanted to be done. And so that's a point of application that we can take from this instance with David and Amasa and Abishai. But as we move on to verse 7, it says, So Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, they went out after him. They went after Sheba. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichrine. And so the, the Cherethites, these were a group of foreign mercenary soldiers. And they were serving as a bodyguard for King David. They were also executioners, or they can be called his special forces. And these Pelethites, these were a collective name for the guardsmen of David or couriers. And so you had Joab's men, you had, you had David's servants under the command of Abishai. Um, you, you had these mighty warriors. All of these are gathered together now to go after Sheba, the son of Bichri, this man from the tribe of Benjamin, this rebellious man. In verse 8, it says, when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. So he joined them. He finally showed up to the party. And it says, now, Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in his sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, the sword fell out. And then Joab said to Amasa, this is his cousin, and this is also the guy who replaced him as commander. He, Joab said to him, are you in health? In other words, are you well, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. So to kiss him in greeting. So they greeted each other. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. And he struck him with it in the stomach and his entrails. In other words, his intestines, they poured out on the ground. And he did not strike him again. Thus, he, speaking of Amasa, died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, 
pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. See, this Joab, this, this man, he's very good at, at leading warriors into battle. He's very good at fighting. But, but he has something in him that, was just, that just wasn't right. He has some anger issues. He had just wickedness in his heart. This is the first time that we've seen this. And so Joab could have done this because maybe he was holding a grudge at the fact that Amasa in the past was on Absalom's side during the rebellion. Or maybe he was mad because David had appointed him as commander of the army instead of him. But another reason Joab killed Amasa could be that he thought that maybe Amasa was about to betray David. We can't trust this guy. He, re- he rebelled before. He went on Absalom's side before during the rebellion. Maybe he's going to do that again and go on Sheba's side. So these are some various reasons why Joab could have murdered this man here, at least in his mind. But whatever the case may be. Joab, as we can see, was deceitful in how he carried out the murder of Amasa. And by the way, as I mentioned, this isn't the first time Joab used deceit in killing a commander. In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 27, he acted like he was going to speak with Abner privately. Abner was King Saul's commander. But he acted like he was going to speak with him privately, and then he stabbed him in the stomach. And so Joab showed deceit there in murdering another commander. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, he used the same tactic, the same tactic of deceit. And it just reminds us that this is what the enemy does, our spiritual enemy, Satan, and and those fallen angels or, or those demons, this is what they do. They use the same strategies, the same tactics over and over. Oh, they may come in different packages with different people in different times and different places, but, but it's the same tactics. The scriptures tell us that Satan is a deceiver. And that word deceive means to cause to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. So something that is really false or invalid, he twists it to make it seems as if it's true, as if it's valid, as if it's right. That's deception. Satan is a great deceiver. And deceiving or deceive, that word, it, it actually implies imposing a false idea or a false belief that causes ignorance, bewilderness, or helplessness. Oh, he's been using deceit for a long time. He's been a deceiver for a long time. In fact, the scriptures tell us that even way back in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, it shows that he deceived Eve in the Garden of Eden. In fact, that is the very word that Eve, the first woman God ever created, that, that is the very word that she used when she stood before God. She said that the serpent deceived her. See, he's a great deceiver. He's been using this tactic for a while. 
But we also can see, we can look around us that, and see that he's deceiving nations right now. And he's deceiving individuals right now. And he's going to keep on using that tactic of deception because he's a great deceiver. And in fact, he's going to keep on using it even till after the millennial kingdom. And so Jesus is going to literally come back. He's going to literally reign for a thousand years on this earth from his headquarters in Jerusalem. And after that thousand year reign, Satan is going to be released from the bottomless pit. And it says that he will deceive the nations once again. And so he uses this tactic over and over and over again, just like, just like Joab did, uses deceit over and over again to murder somebody that he just didn't like. But Satan, you need to know this, is, he's a great deceiver. That is, that, that is his main tool. And, and he deceives people through lies. And, and what is a lie? To be exact, what is a lie? Uh, the word lie means to make an untrue statement with an intent to deceive. See that? He's, he's, a, he's a great deceiver and, and he uses lies. He puts it out there and unfortunately some, some people bite it. They, they, they bite the bait. They take the bait. In John chapter 8, verse 44, this is Jesus speaking to the Jews who were opposing him during that time. And he told them, he said, you are of your father, the devil. You're just like him. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Because they wanted to kill Jesus. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. He is the creator of lies. And so when the enemy lies, when the devil lies, he's speaking from his own resources. Which means that he's speaking from his very nature. It is in his nature to lie. That, that is... A part of him. That is not the way God designed him. No. He used. Lucifer used his free will. To rebel against God. And, and he became a liar. Because when he was created. He was created perfect. He was perfect. There was no lie in him. When God created everything. He created it good. But apparently angels. At that point had free will. And we saw with Lucifer. The devil, Satan, used his free will to do. He wanted to become God, and he got kicked out of heaven. It's no longer his dwelling place. He has some type of access there, but it's not his dwelling place. And I say he has some type of access there because the scriptures tell us that he is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God. But Jesus stands in our defense. And you can also see in the book of Job that 
when the sons of God, speaking of the angels, when they met together, it says that Satan also came. And so he had some type of access. And what did he do? He was accusing Job. He is the accuser of the brethren, but heaven is not his dwelling place. He's, he's kicked out of heaven. It's not where he lives. And so God didn't create, create him to be a liar. But once again, he uses free will to do that. And so when he speaks a lie, he does it from his own nature. He's the father of it. He developed it. He invented the lie and he uses lies to deceive people. And that deception is still going on today. But there is a way to fight the deception of the enemy. Oh, you can you can fight this by. Getting to know the word of God. And so if you know the word of God, and I'm talking about both the written and the living word being Jesus. If you know the word of God, then you will know the God of the word. In other words, you will, you will know about God's character, about who he is. And so why would I bring up this information why would I say this? And that's because I have to say this because Satan lies to, he deceives people about what makes them happy. He deceives people about the impact of sin. Oh, it's okay if we live together before marriage. We're just trying it out first to see if we're compatible. That is a lie and that's a deception from the enemy. Or the enemy will lie to you about the Bible. The, the Bible really isn't the word of God. He'll say the same thing that he said to Eve. Did God really say? Did God really say that, that, that two people who are not married shouldn't live together? Did God really say that? Did, did God really say that I can't live the life that I want to live and be happy? Even if you say, Christian, that it's a sinful lifestyle. But did God really say that? Or you see, the enemy will lie to deceive people into thinking that a sinful lifestyle is okay. Oh, oh, man wrote the Bible. So that those are man's thoughts. The enemy will say. The enemy will lie about who Jesus is. Oh, oh, oh he is not God in the flesh. He was just some, some good man. He just did a lot of good things. He's just a great teacher. He was just a prophet. He was just one of many Buddhas. That's all he is. The enemy would lie and say to people. And then some people, they, they think they've gained some type of secret knowledge and they make a YouTube video on that. And people watch it and think that they're learning something new that everybody else don't know. Deception. Lies from the enemy. In fact, he would lie about the way God views them. He would lie about the way he views us as believers. You know, God really doesn't love you. You know, I, I know you prayed that prayer to have your sins forgiven, but, but, but do you really think that you can do that sin you did in the past and God we really forgive that? Do, do, do you really think that the enemy would say? 
Do you really think that you can commit those types of sins when, when you were growing up and you can just waltz into heaven all because you have faith in, 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 the, in Christ, the enemy would say? Or you think that God is, is really merciful towards you? you? The enemy would even lie that you're, you're predestined to hell just because it says that he chooses. They add to that and say, well, if he chooses for salvation, then he chooses for hell. When the scriptures actually tell us that, yes, he chooses, but we also have a choice in the matter. But the enemy will lie to us. And so that's why I will put up a slide like that. That you, would, that you can combat the lies of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, but by getting to know the word of God. Because if you do, then like I said, then you will know the God of the word. You will know how he really feels about you. You would really know his thoughts towards you. You would really know what pleases him and what doesn't please him. So just like Joab Just to wrap up this point, just like Joab, the enemy uses that trick, that scheme of deceit over and over and over again. But moving on to verse 11, it says, meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near a mesa and he said, whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. But a mesa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway. And when the man saw that all the people stood still. He moved the mesa from the highway to the field and he threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. So it's almost like, you know, what you see on the road there when you're driving, there's a car accident, everybody's slowing down or even stopping because, you know, they're looking back to see the damage that this accident has caused. And so this is kind of what it's like. And so instead of the army marching on, they see this dead body, this man who's supposed to be the commander. They see him wallowing in his own blood and the army just stopped. And so one of Joab's servants just moved him out of the way. Verse 13 says, and when he was removed from the highway, all the people or army, they went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Meacha and all the Beerites. And so um, the he that went through all the tribes of Israel, uh, many versions say that this referred to Sheba. So Sheba went through all the tribes of Israel to this place called Abel and Beth Meacha. And that's in northern Israel. And it says in all the Beerites, and so they, that is the Beerites, they, they were gathered together and they also went after or they followed Sheba. And in verse 15, it says, then they came and they besieged him. They besieged Sheba in Abel of Beth Meaka. They surrounded that place, that place in the northern kingdom. And then they cast up a siege mound against that city. And, and that just means that they piled up dirt. Or built a siege ramp against the city wall. And it stood, it says, by the rampart, which is a protective barrier. And all the people who were with Joab, they battered the wall to throw it down. You see, this siege mount, by the way, was what it was, was an inclined plane that the besiegers of a castle or a walled town 
had built up to the walls so that they can bring their war machines closer and work at a better angle. And so this ramp was made of all sorts of materials. It could be made of earth. It could be made of timber or wood. It could be made of bricks and stones. Uh, And then it says, um, you know, the sides of it um, were usually being walled up with brick or stone. And so they were really going after Sheba in the city in Abel. And notice here at the end of verse 15, it says that all the people who were with Joab, they, they were battering the wall to throw it down. And so these people who were led by Joab, in other words, they were willing to do lots of damage just so they can go after one guy, just so they can get this one rebel. They were going to um, destroy this city, cause all this damage. And, and we even see something like this today. For example, even in politics, just to destroy a political opponent, people will destroy an entire country. And we even see this in families because of a beef. And that's what we used to say when we were growing up. If you had a problem with somebody, that was beef. You had beef with somebody. And so now I'll let you in a little bit on a little of the language in South Central L.A. And so you have street cred as well. And don't go make any, don't, don't go make any rap albums, Matt. Don't do that. But, but if you have beef with somebody, that means you had a problem with somebody. So, so just because some people have beef or a problem with a certain family member, they too will be willing to cause division and destruction within that family just to get after one person, starting rumors and, and things like that. And so we see this here in this situation as they're trying to knock down this wall just to go after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And in verse 16, it says, then a wise woman cried out from the city, hear, hear, please say to Joab, come nearby that I may speak with you. And when he had come near to the wise woman, she said, are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I am listening. Now, this guy is a murderer. You just seen what he did. He says, I'm listening. He's listening to this wise woman. In verse 18, it says, so she spoke saying, they used to talk in former times saying, they shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end or settle disputes. So she's telling them that, hey, back in the day, people used to say that, that, look, if you wanted to end your, your problem, if you wanted to end your beef, if you will, your, if you wanted to settle your dispute, then go to Abel and get wisdom, get some guidance there. And so she's telling him this, this story. She's giving him the background about Abel, her city, that, that Joab is about to destroy. And in verse 19, she continues. She said, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. So, in other words, this city is like a mother in Israel. It's an important city, just to keep it simple. And she says, or asks the question, why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Why are you trying to destroy the city? And Joab answered and said, far be it. Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy He says, that is not so. That's not true. That's not what I'm trying to do. But a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. 
Deliver him only and I will depart from the city. And so the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman in her wisdom went to all the people and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and they threw it out to Joab. Then he blew a trumpet. That's that ram's horn. That's the shofar. And they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. And so Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. And then in verses 23 through 26, this is just going over the leadership roles um, that, that were in the kingdom during that time under David. So I'll just read that quickly. It says, and Joab was over all the army of Israel. So he got a spot back because he killed a Mesa. Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the, the Cherethites and the Pelethites. Adoram, in verse 24, was in charge of revenue, and this is the forced labor, in other words, and you can look at the Hebrew word behind that and see that forced labor is the correct translation. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder, in other words, he was the royal historian, and Shiva was a scribe, and if you are a careful Bible study, Shiva is the same as Sariah and Shafsha, but he was the scribe. He was the royal secretary, and Zadok and Abiathar, they're familiar to you or should be if you've been listening to the study. They were the priests, and then Ira, the Jairite, was a chief minister under David, and so in other words, Ira the Jairite, he was like David's priest or maybe his personal chaplain. And so that's the way uh, chapter 20 ends. But what I want to focus on is this woman, this wise woman who isn't named. And that's because through this wise woman in the text that we just read, we can indeed see the benefits of wisdom and wisdom, by the way, is more than knowledge. It's just not knowing the knowing information. Just it's not knowing the facts. No, no, it's it's more than knowledge. Wisdom is the fitting application of knowledge. It is knowing how to apply the information that you have. That's that's wisdom. And so through this woman, we're going to see the benefits of wisdom. And the first thing we can see as far as a benefit of wisdom is concerned is that wisdom provides solutions. Wisdom provides solutions. You see, the wise woman spoke to the man in charge of the attack. And the man in charge of the attack was Joab. And so she was wise enough to get him to see the big picture. Like, hey, this is an important city. Uh, this is the inheritance of God. And you're willing to destroy this entire city. What are you doing? See the big picture. And so she was wise enough to seek the leader of this attack to show him the big picture. And she was wise enough to get the people of the city involved and implement the plan, which is just... Hey, you know, get rid of um, this guy for them. Get rid of Sheba and throw his head over this to show proof that he's dead. So in other words, they, yeah, she got, she got rid of the problem. And so wisdom here in this example shows, or, or, or the benefit of wisdom here is that it provides solutions. And so she literally got rid of the head of the problems. And the pun is intended, by the way. But 
to point number two. Second benefit of wisdom is that it saves lives. It saves lives. And I say that because the lives of the people in that city were spared. All because this wise woman had had enough wisdom to, to speak with Joab and inform him. Just give him the information that he needed. And I like what it says in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 9, verse 18. It says that wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Again, that's Ecclesiastes 9, 18. But another benefit of wisdom, and this is the third point, is that it prevents people from making poor decisions. And so we saw in this lesson that that Joab was prevented from making a poor decision. He, He was prevented. He was stopped in his tracks from destroying an entire city full of people who had nothing to do with the rebellious Sheba. Prevents people from making poor decisions. You see, this world that we live in, this world system, it thinks it's wise when it supports people and their sins. Uh, They think it's wise to tell people to do what makes them happy or to follow their own heart. So it sounds so cool. It sounds so wise. But you're leading people to destruction when you tell people to do what makes you happy. Do what is in your heart to do. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And it is desperately wicked. And who can know the heart? Of course, we know if you read the following not. A line in Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 10, tells us that God does. God knows. But to get back to the point, the world thinks it's wise when it tells people to follow their hearts. But, but how about telling people that the only way they'll experience true blessings, that the only way they'll experience real happiness, the, the only way they'll experience real joy, and, and the only way they will reach their full potential How about telling them that the only way that can be done is through Jesus? Oh, that's real wisdom. Those are real wise words, not what the world gives. And so when the world gives wisdom, it leads people into making poor decisions. But wisdom from God prevents people from making poor decisions. The Bible says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. It even causes people to make foolish decisions, but wisdom doesn't do that. It prevents us, just like it prevented Joab, from making a foolish decision. But a fourth point, a fourth benefit of wisdom is that wisdom is available to all. That is such a blessing. And I say that it is available to all because here we see that that a woman had wisdom. Now, it's not just for the men. Women can have wisdom too. And in fact, this is not the first wise woman in the Bible. We, we see in other instances. But, but, but wisdom is also made available to people of different age groups, of people from different locations. So, so wisdom is available to all. And if you want wisdom, the scriptures tell us to ask God for it. 
James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally. He gives wisdom to all of us generously if we would ask for it and without reproach. In other words, he won't find fault with us. He won't criticize us for coming to us for wisdom because it'll be, it'll be given to us. He won't say, you, you don't have any wisdom. What's wrong with you? God won't put us down, but without reproach, it will be given to that person who asks for wisdom. So if you want it, ask for it. So what this shows here in this verse is that the Lord is the source of wisdom. And in fact, if you read uh, Proverbs, you'll find out that wisdom is eternal. And the reason wisdom is eternal is because God is eternal and God always possessed wisdom. So God has always been the God of wisdom. And so, like I said, that means that wisdom is eternal. That's Proverbs chapter 8, verses 22 through 30, if you want to read it on your own time. But the point is, God is the source of wisdom, so ask him for it. Oh, we've heard so much about wisdom. We've heard the word wisdom and wise all throughout the message tonight and even in previous studies. And you'll probably and you will most likely hear it over and over again in your private time as you read the scriptures, as you read the Proverbs on a daily basis, like our brother Joe does and some other people do. You hear the word wisdom in various various messages from different pastors in the future. That is, if we're still here. And so we've heard so much about wisdom in the scriptures. We've heard that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, with the reverential awe of the Lord. In other words, the fear of the Lord means that you take God seriously, as one pastor puts it. And I like the way he defined it, so I stole it. And so wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom is better than strength. We've even heard that from the scriptures. Wisdom is better than rubies and gold. How many of you heard of that? That that wisdom is precious. Wisdom is found in the written word of God. And so we've heard so much about wisdom. And all of that is true. And so definitely, I, I definitely agree with that. But ultimately, and just to keep it simple, wisdom is found in and receive through Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 it says. But of him. And that is speaking of God the Father. You are in Christ. So God the Father unites us to Christ. We are in Christ. Who became for us wisdom from God. He became for us wisdom for God. If so. If you're currently an unbeliever, if there's anybody who's an unbeliever and you want wisdom, start with putting your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. I know many of you, so I don't want to leave you out as believers. As many of you are believers and you want wisdom, yes, you heard to ask for it. You saw it in James 1 verse 5. But I also want to say that since wisdom 
is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I would say as believers to continue to walk in wisdom, continue to walk in wisdom by what? By keeping your eyes or your mind on Christ Jesus. Our perfect example of wisdom, wisdom personified. Wisdom from God. And so we definitely thank the Lord for wisdom and how to apply the knowledge that we receive. And, and, and so you receive a lot of knowledge through your Bible reading. You receive a, a lot of knowledge through those devotional readings that, that you may get from the bookstore. The days of praise and the daily bread, those things that you read, those devotions, you, you receive information, you receive knowledge from brothers and sisters in Christ who are very knowledgeable of the word of God. You receive lots of knowledge from different pastors, different Bible teachers. You receive a lot of knowledge from Bible college classes and things like that. You receive so much knowledge, but we want to be able to apply that knowledge. So that's what wisdom is about. It's taking that knowledge, taking what we learn and applying it. But thank God we don't have to do that on our own. We can't do it on our own. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. And so praise God we have the Holy Spirit as believers to help us to apply this wisdom as the worship team takes the stage. But as they do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you provide through your word, and through Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, that whatever word has gone forth, whatever information or knowledge we've received recently or tonight, help us to apply it. Help us to use wisdom in obeying you. And we ask that you would help us to do that by the power of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, over my brothers and sisters that, that you would use them this week for your glory. Yes. That you would help them to, to be all that you want them to be, Lord. And I even pray, Lord, that you would watch over them on their way home. Help them to be safe on the road. So, Lord, we do pray for traveling grace. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you're able to stand, please stand for this last song. And just want to thank you so much for coming out. And if you need prayer, please come up for prayer. We are more than willing to pray with you and for you. And we're definitely not afraid to pray to the God of the Bible. Because he is a God who answers prayer. So once again, thank you for coming out. And we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.